We're going to be in Revelation 13, verse 11 tonight, kind of picking up to finish off this chapter a little bit anyway. I am going to, when we get back to Revelation, like I said, next week we'll talk about Hanukkah some more. When we get back, we're going to dive a deep dive into the mark of the beast because that is going to deserve a little bit more attention than what we're going to be able to cover tonight. And so right now we just want to get kind of the, the feel of the chapter and what that's all about. It says this, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Remember, we just saw one coming up out of the sea. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So, the first one last week, we saw the beast out of the sea seeming to be an antichrist, and he's got this mortal wound, but here it seems to be healed, and this guy is coming up and saying, you need to worship this first beast, this beast out of the sea. And as you're going to see, this is going to be the false prophet. I'm not making this up. It's not my interpretation. It's literally what the Bible tells us it is in chapter 16, verse 13. You're going to see this beast is identified as the false prophet. So we don't have to wonder. Now, the first one seemed to be the Antichrist. As I said, Satan mimics everything and we have an evil trinity. Okay, the Antichrist. Now here's an anti-Holy Spirit. And then the dragon is the anti-God. And so all three are in cahoots, all three work together, but the dragon is the one that has the ultimate authority, who gives the power to the Antichrist, and the Antichrist gives the power to the false prophet, and the false prophet then points back to the Antichrist. In essence, we, there's a lesson to be learned there in what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do in our lives. Today, there's a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, and I fully believe in the Holy Spirit. I think I, I'm not a cessationalist, but there is such an abuse of the Holy Spirit, and I think the biggest abuse of it is this. We think the Holy Spirit is all about pointing to us how I should feel and experience that I should have, but the Holy Spirit is to point us back to Christ. And that's exactly what we see the devil doing here as well, or the false prophet, pointing back to the Antichrist demanding and, and pointing them to worship him. So, this beast being a false prophet is going to be more religious in nature, where the Antichrist is seeming to be more political in nature. Now, false prophets are subtle. I believe that we have all probably been around false prophets, and we think, oh, prophets, those are the times of the end. No, the Bible warns us, as you're about to see, to watch out for false prophets that come. Well, let's just read it. Matthew 7, 15, and 16 here in the middle, it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Interestingly, this one speaks like a dragon, but it's like a lamb coming in sheep's clothing, but is going to speak with the venom of a serpent, in a sense. That's what happens in churches today. There are many false prophets who come looking like a lamb, looking as if they're Christians, claiming to be Christians, 
but their doctrine and theology will be unbiblical. It will be man-centered. It won't point to Christ. It'll point to you. It'll point to someone else. Maybe it'll even point to just that church body. But it is so subtle because these people are so godly and they pray so much and they, they're just you know, wonderful people. That's the kind of person this false prophet is and that's what you have to watch out for. I don't care how nice you are, how much you pray, maybe even how much it seems that you obey and are following God. But in the secret life, you've got sin dwelling in your home. Pornography. Or maybe even other sins that are there. That's the kind of thing a false prophet will be like. The sins are going to be hidden. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that every person who's caught up in some sin is a false prophet. But what I'm saying is a false prophet is going to be like that. Will be caught up in sin. They will not be following God. They will pretend to follow God. That's what it means to look like a lamb, but to speak like a dragon, ultimately. So, thinking about this week, just listening to some news, I was driving home from Broken, Broken Bow, and I was just hearing just the ungodliness of what goes on in our country and from the leaders, and I just thought, oh, God, just wipe them out. And I went to pick up some TVs at Best Buy for the museum, and I'm coming out, and there's this girl coming out, and she's bawling. And I don't know if a boyfriend, a brother, or something also. And I just thought, oh, I should go pray, but the boyfriend was kind of walking away, and it's like, I didn't know what to do. And so I just prayed for her in my heart, didn't go over there, and I was kicking myself afterwards. I should have gone over and prayed with her and just talked to her. But my initial feeling was, Lord, all the pain and all the suffering that goes on in this world, it's like, if you just come and put an end to it. And then I realized, but if he does that, there's still, obviously because his timing is best, there are still people who will turn to the Lord who haven't yet. And then I thought, well then, sure, just, just wipe out the evil ones, Lord. <laughs> but that's not the heart that we're supposed to have either. We're supposed to pray for our enemies. And it was kind of convicting, but it made me realize the evils that are going on today are so illogical. I mean, who in their right mind would think that some of the laws that, that our president is talking about in, you know, we, we're, we're supposed to be watching out and protecting our children and thinking that allowing them to do transgender mutilation and all of these things to their bodies, that somehow that's protecting them. There is absolute Two brain cells holding hands knows that is not good. That is all it takes. And yet, it's being pushed and praised. And I thought, the only explanation for that is a spiritual battle. We are at war spiritually. What this guy is going to do, I don't think for any Christian is going to make sense. You're going to be like, oh my goodness. Even though he speaks like a lamb, if you are in your word, you know your word, you will recognize it. But there's going to be a lot in the world, in our culture, that are going to follow it. And this is why we do not follow culture. We do not follow the ways of this world. We do not even follow 
church denominational beliefs. We follow the word of God, period, because culture will lie to you. Just the way it is. Matthew 24 says, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. That verse has always been amazing to me. If that were possible. Now notice, there's a plural here. False Christs. There will be many antichrists. Last week I said, I think that everybody has a mark of the beast moment. Whether it ever is the mark of the beast that is going to come in the end times. Maybe you don't live through that. Because people think, well, it's just not fair that that generation only has to go through this test. No, let me tell you, every one of you is going to go through that test. And I think at any given time, there is an antichrist spirit out in the world. There is a false prophet spirit out in the world. Right now, even if we aren't in end times. It's here. And we always have to be ready. But it says, miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. I think that you should find comfort in that because if you're in your word and you know truth and you know Jesus, I don't believe it's going to be possible for you to be deceived by this. People say, cool, could you accidentally take the mark of the beast? We'll talk about that later. No, it will not be possible if you are walking with Jesus and know his word. Daniel even said this, none of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So, this is why it's important to know the word as well. If you're not in the word, you won't understand. Then yes, it is possible. Yes, you can be deceived. But you have to be able to recognize a false prophet, a false spirit, an antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Now, first of all, I, I'm amazed at how many people tell me the law is gone. You know what that would be defined as? Lawless. The Antichrist is going to have a lawless spirit. If the law is gone, how do you define lawlessness? Okay, scripture defines it as sin is lawlessness. And so, how do you know what sin is? By the law. I'm not preaching salvation by works. You all know that. But I am preaching works because of salvation. Faith without works is dead. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles. That's interesting too. I mean, a counterfeit miracle, I kind of feel like miracles are miracles and wow, but a counterfeit one means that it's false. It's, it's not really true. <coughs> not sure I understand that fully. But I can tell you this, that it will be something that is going to persuade many to follow him. This too is why miracles, signs, and wonders never should bring anybody to faith because anybody can do those. Pharaoh's sorcerers. Exactly. Yeah, Pharaoh's sorcerers is a perfect example. We don't believe because of signs. We don't believe because of experiences. We believe because of faith and the Word of God, standing that as a foundation. And remember, the Word of God is... Jesus Christ, Yeshua. 
It goes on, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Evil that deceives those who are perishing. Today, in the message we listened to, he was talking about what is Ashley Madison website when it connected to adultery and the statistics that were just terrible of how many men and women in marriages have thought about adultery or would have an adulterous relationship if they knew they wouldn't get caught and all of these kinds of things. But the Ashley Madison website is basically a website where people go to to have an affair. But they justify it because of their evil deeds, their evil desires. I see that every sort of evil that deceives the pornography that is on the, the internet out there, everywhere it can go, coming in and trying to deceive our children, deceive your husbands, to deceive perhaps even some wives. That's the thing that I see, that evil that deceives those that are perishing. It deceives you by thinking, oh, I can handle this. It's just one picture. Oh, I can handle looking at that girl over there that's got her mini skirt on or whatever it is. I can handle looking at that. I'm not having an affair. I'm not doing anything. It's just eye candy. I can handle that. No, that's the kind of evil that deceives because adultery isn't just the act. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, it is the thought even. And this is what we see happening. The devil is going to have all of this. The, the false prophet is going to use all of these desires of the flesh, justify them, telling you it's okay, you deserve this, as that website did. That you, you know, What somebody does in private is their own business, and it should be lawful. There's nothing wrong with you know, doing what you want to do in your own time, in your own house, in your own privacy, because it doesn't hurt anybody else. It's your life. No. Try telling Achan that. Right? Achan's sin didn't just affect him. His whole family died because of it, as well as others in the community. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. This is the sort of thing the false prophet and the Antichrist are going to be pushing. And people will perish. Why? Because of one reason. They refuse to love truth. What is truth? Only one thing. Your experience isn't truth. Your feelings certainly are not truth. The Word of God is truth. And if you don't love the Word of God, let me tell you, you should be afraid because you can easily be deceived. You need to be in the Word. You need to love that Word. And it's easy for, oh, I love the Word, I love the Word. How much time do you spend in it? Versus how much time you spend on TV or in some screen or, or maybe whatever your hobby is. Where your heart is, that's where your God is. You can say all you want, you love the word, but the reality of it is the proof is in the pudding. The time you put into it. That'll tell you how much you love the word. Well, Revelation 14, jumping ahead to the next chapter because it's going to kind of tie into what we're reading here. It says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur, in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. 
and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. There will be no rest, day or night. If you receive the mark, and this is what we see this false prophet trying to do, is getting you to worship the Antichrist, to take a mark of this beast. And if you do, like I said, we'll talk more about it later. I don't think this is going to be something you can accidentally take. I don't think this is something that you can, well, I'll take it, but in my mind, I'm not going to give him the, you know, it's not like that. We'll, We'll talk about that later. Verse 13 says, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Some of these counterfeit miracles right here, fire coming down from heaven. Why? Because again, he mimics everything God does. Kind of reminds you of Elijah, doesn't it? One of God's prophets that calls fire down from heaven to destroy those. Kind of reminds you of the two witnesses. The two witnesses that we saw in Revelation 11, if anybody tried to harm them, fire came out of heaven. Now we got this other guy, oh, kind of a a Pharaoh kind of thing. Oh, you can do that, so can we. So, same sign, how do you know which one's going to be real and which one's going to be counterfeit? By loving the truth. People, and this is what's happened in the church with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I I got this, the, the Holy Spirit, it's making me fall down and laugh and bark like a dog. But it felt wonderful. It's got to be God. And yet, you see the same thing as we were talking about before in Hindu religions, the kundalini spirit, whatever. There's the same manifestations that we can see in reality, not you know, minus the barking like a dog and all of that kind of thing, the craziness. But we see the same spirit can manifest itself. How do you know which one? By going to the Word, by loving the truth. The Holy Spirit is real, but there is an anti-spirit, a false spirit prophet even alive now so when you think of this false prophet don't just look for the future look around you right now and ask yourself is there an anti-holy spirit in the churches today i think so so whether you're in the end times or not you're in it you're in it because every generation has to guard themselves against this. 1 John 4, 1 through 2 says this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, I know if you've ever read 1 John, it's a really small book. And so this probably will never really happen. He just needed to fill some space because he couldn't, you know, compare or compete with the rest of the people writing, right? So I'm sure this will never, ever happen. Yeah, (laughs) No, he's writing this because it's reality and how many people today take this seriously. He says, dear friends, don't believe every spirit. There will be spirits coming to you, false prophets, and they are going to lie to you. So you have to test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Past tense, they're already there. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now I've asked asked myself, what does that mean? Jesus Christ, did he come in the flesh? If a false spirit comes before you, you say, who is Jesus? Did he come in the flesh? 
I, you know. Yep. All right, good. You're good. Now tell me, if he continues to lie to you, you could be, be deceived. I don't know how I could really use this as a test outside of the whole picture of their life. <coughs> is Jesus truly Lord? Do they know that Jesus is God and man? He was full man and he was full God. And if you deny that, an easy one would be Islam. They believe in Jesus, but he was just a prophet. Not as good as the final prophet of Muhammad, but a prophet, a good man, a good moral teacher. That is a spirit of Antichrist. That's, you test the spirits, you know that's a lie. I think that's the obvious, but I do believe it gets even more subtle in the churches to where Jesus, oh yeah, yeah he's God, but so are you. Right? I mean, we could go down to even more subtle to where I think it becomes that, yeah, he is God, but you don't have to abide by what he says because he's really not God. If he is Lord, one of the most crazy words that you could say that's just such a paradox is no, Lord. Because if he's Lord, you don't say no to him. You never say no to your master. If a slave did that and they tried it, they'd find out you don't do that. No, Lord. If he is truly Lord, truly God, there will be a reflection of that in their life. And that's why I think you have to take this verse in connection with other verses that say a tree is judged by its fruit. You, you, know, you will know them by their fruit. You take the full context of the scriptures, not just this one thing, and say, all right, who is Jesus? Which, by the way, I had an interesting thing that when I was teaching, I would ask kids that I found very fascinating. Now, by no means am I saying this is foolproof or anything, but I would ask them, who is Jesus? And it was kind of interesting, the difference that I would see. You could tell kids that were more spiritual and those that were less spiritual. Okay, they seemed to all be Christians. But it was interesting because these would be the answers I'd get. He is the Son of God. Okay, he is just all the, the typical doctrinal answers. And then there were those kids who said, he is my best friend. He is my savior. He is my hope. And it was those spiritual kids that would give me those answers. Because, you see, even Jesus knows Jesus, or I'm sorry, even the devil knows that Jesus is God. But it's not his Lord, not his friend, not his Savior. There's a personal th aspect to that that's so important. So, anyway, going back to this text, we see that to validate the authority of this second beast, these miracles are given. But Jesus said, miracle signs and wonders do not bring faith. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. So don't look for signs and wonders to determine whether a person is good or not. You know, we've been talking about a preterist view. Those of you new listening as well, I think there's truth to preterism, but I reject preterism. Because preterism all is saying that everything happened in the past. I say, yes, those are 
foreshadowings of a future event. But those are very legitimate things to consider. I just don't think it was the final fulfillment of it. They see the Antichrist as Nero. Kaiser Nero. And what we see is his name is 666. All of these things, so many things fit into the pattern. Speaking boastfully, going after the Christians, his reign, every, so many things. But Nero never called fire down from heaven. Oh yeah, he burned Rome down. Okay, and that's what they'll say. He burned down Rome. That's, that wasn't a miracle. But these are pictures and foreshadowing of that you know, time to come. The other thing is we see the power here is coming from demons. And we know that because in chapter 16, verse 13, speaking of the false prophet, you will see that these frogs that are coming out, these demonic beings, are the ones that give him the power to do this. So chapter 16 really goes well to read with chapter 13 because you're getting these extra details. Verse 14 says, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, the beast that came out of the sea, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. Again, if you don't take and worship this beast, this image of the beast, you don't buy or sell. It says, Who was wounded by the sword and let lived. It seems to be that he was wounded by this sword. What that sword is, we don't know. Literal, maybe the word of God. What I, I don't know. <coughs> but he lived. A mimicking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Antichrist will mimic what Christ did. And so he's wounded, but comes back. Oh, it's a miracle. We're going to make an image of his name. I find that so fascinating that... We in the church have done some of the same things. Jesus died, rose from the dead. What do we do? We put a cross on our walls. Now, I'm not against doing that fully. But there are some denominations that literally treat that as an image to worship. Yeah, I do have one in mind. So true, isn't it? Every single thing I'm telling you, there's nothing new under the sun. The devil is mimicking. And... And that's what it's going to be like. We, we don't worship an image. The Jews, when you go to Israel, if any of you go into Israel with me again, those of you went in the past, you'll see a lot of times if you have the mosaics that are on the floor, or pictures of animals and things like that, it's usually, it's not Jewish, unless it was a Hellenized Jew, which we'll talk about later. Because they didn't have images. They didn't want any image. You, you could have patterns, but they didn't have images. Because you might worship it. So you didn't want the sun and the moon and animals because that was the world they lived in. They were very careful not to set up any image. So I think not only is this image going to be worshipped, but it's also going to serve as a sign for believers because this is what Matthew 24, 15 says. So, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, let the reader understand. And then just let the reader, let those who read the Bible, who love the truth, understand. And he says, this is the one spoken of by the prophet Daniel. 
So people can say, hey, uh, Titus or, well, let me go back, Antiochus, which will be a Hanukkah thing, fulfilled that. Daniel, I mean, any commentator that you will pick up, when you read the book of Daniel, is going to tell you that that third beast in the Greek kingdom will be, after Alexander the Great dying, one of the ribs will be Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV. Fits it to an absolute T. But that's 164, 165 B.C. And then Jesus comes 165 years later, and even after that, then when he's walking in his ministry, he says, so when you see this spoken of by the prophet Daniel, telling them, hey, Antiochus wasn't the fulfillment. That was only a picture of what's to come. Antiochus cannot be the complete fulfillment of Daniel. Can't be. Because Jesus, long after Antiochus, is saying, there's still one coming. Then we had Titus come, and he said, oh, that's the one. No, that's only a picture too. Titus didn't do all the things that are talked about here. These are all pictures of a future that is going to happen. So, the good news is the doom of both of these beasts is going to be seen in Revelation 19, verse 20. You're going to have to wait a while to get to it, but let me, let, let me know, tell you, it is coming. They will be cast into the fiery pits of hell. Now, first, you're only going to see two of them get thrown into hell, and then there's going to be a thousand years, and then the dragon gets put there. Again, I grew up in a world that just made it so simple. I live... And I die, maybe in my lifetime, the Lord comes back, and then I'm with heaven and the gold streets, and it's all done. Boom, 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 boom. God, that's not what the Bible says. There's going to be a lot more. We'll get to that later. I don't want to go there tonight, but just to let you know, Revelation 19 and 20 is where you'll see that. Anyway, they are going to do miracles as prophets did. You know, that's a sign of being a prophet, but not the only sign, as I said. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So this guy is going to not only you know, be speaking or, or giving power, which is kind of interesting. He says that the image of the beast should both speak that image, and cause as many that wouldn't worship him to die. Remember Elijah and the two witnesses? Same thing again. I don't know if this is the fire that comes down from heaven, but that's one of the signs. Maybe that's what's happening here. That just as the two witnesses, just as Elijah call fire down from heaven to destroy those who do not follow, it's the same kind of thing. It's also very reminiscent of Daniel and the lion's den. Or the, I'm sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mishael and those, right? They're Hebrew names. That is a picture. Again, the Old Testament isn't just a history book. Everything is pointing to Christ and to his first or second coming or who he is. And when we read about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of these guys being thrown into the fiery furnace, we teach it to the kids as this great you know, story. And look, isn't that cool? God saves people. But there's more to that, that if you don't worship this image that is set up, then you're going to be cast into the fire, you're going to die. 
all kinds of things, but we're not going to go all of that tonight either. 2 Thessalonians 2.4, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. This is speaking of the Antichrist. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Part of Hanukkah, we see this very thing happening in Antiochus. We see Titus doing the same thing. We see many of the Roman emperors doing the same kind of thing. I'll show you a picture of Antiochus later. On his coins, he has Zeus, which is what he set up a temple to, but he put his head on it. I am God. That's what Antiochus did. I used to think, who would be so bold or just dumb? I mean, nobody's going to believe it. Boy, some of the things that I've seen in the last eight years. Oh, my goodness. I get it. I see it. Obama was being called the Messiah. Time magazine, right? Not denying it either. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we could look at. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. doesn't matter what influence you have or don't have. You're not immune to this, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast and the number of his name, which you'll see is 666. Well, again, it is not an accident where this mark is being put. On your hand, your right hand, or on your forehead. Where is the Word of God supposed to be put? You go back to Deuteronomy. When we get to the mark of the beast, we're going to talk about it more, but it's important to see it now. He says, bind them on your arms, write them on your forehead. This is why the Jews wrap up their arms. They wear their phylacteries on their head because the word of God was always to be bound on their arm. And by the way, the word arm there can include the hand, the yod, as well as the, uh, the, all the way up to the elbow aspect. So, again, an exact mimicry. Taking a mark on your hand or forehead is an act of disobedience of God's word, an act of lawlessness. But God says, put my law on your hands and on your forehead. Put it on the gates of your home. Revelation 12, 11, moving back a little bit. Remember, it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The way that we're going to overcome is by one thing. Not by how many guns you can store up. Not by how much food you can store up. <coughs> I'm not saying that that's not a good thing to do. But I'll tell you what, if that's where your confidence is in, you're not going to make it. Somebody will steal your guns, your food. It'll spoil. The mice will come in, whatever it is. The only way you will overcome this is by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Know the word. Love the truth. So we'll talk more about that mark of the beast later, like I said. But, you know, the, the whole mark of the beast, too, the mantra is that only in modern time has this come about. 
you know, we've got the social security number, only in modern times do we have where you could really be marked and a chip put in your hand and blah, all these different ideas that are out there. But I just don't think that's true. We saw many emperors that I will talk about maybe later that literally branded like their names and branded people on the forehead or in the right hand of the past. Okay? And it, if you did not have that, you could not go to the marketplace and buy. Or actually, it was actually the opposite. If you had it, it was a mark that you couldn't buy in some senses because you were marked as not being loyal to the, to the emperor. So, like I said, I'm not going to get into that too much. But what are you going to do then? Well, Elijah, when he had no food, the ravens came and fed him. Uh, you know, when you didn't have any water in the desert, came out of the rocks, or the rock, which was Christ, as 1 Corinthians tells us. Christ provides. I mean, we could go through all kinds of examples. The widow of Zarephath, the oil and the flour, right? Go gather some things, and it just never ends. Just, you know, wow, I, I thought I only had a quart left. I filled 30 gallons of this, right? Whatever. God will take care of Anyway, um, I just think you have to be careful to getting too caught up in just the physical aspect of the mark of the beast here. When in fact, Revelation as well, everybody wants to focus on the mark of the beast. Everybody wants to know what that is. But what does Revelation focus on? The seal of God over and over and over. But nobody really cares about the seal of God. We want to know what the mark of the beast is. Watch for the seal of God. Search that one out. Okay? We're all going to die, either at the hand of men or at the hand of God. Why delay heaven? Right? I mean, I think that's another attitude that we have to have, is not to love their life as much as to shrink from death here, as it said in Revelation 12. Is there really something in this world that you love so much that's going to be better than what heaven is going to provide? I mean, if there is, let me know, because I'm really curious what that could be. There is nothing in this world, and I mean nothing, that is going to outdo, outshine, outjoy heaven. And yet, we're like, no, mine. Right? Anyway, um, like I said, much more than outward symbol, we'll get to it. Closing out here. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. If you take the Hebrew letters, every Hebrew letter is assigned a number. Has been throughout, I don't know how long, it goes way back. Before Christ even. And... So people keep trying to calculate the name. Nero, his name did get 666. Now, what is a little bit fascinating to me is this. Nero's name written is Neron Kaiser. Nero Caesar, we would say. You can see the letters, N-R-W-N-Q-S-R. You add up the value of each of those letters, it equals 666. However, we know John F. Kennedy... Also, it was 666. 
Okay, now, again, you have to play with his name, whether it be something like John F. Kennedy, John Kennedy, JFK, you know, J.F. Kennedy, but you can get it to be 666. I don't remember which one of those combinations it was, but nonetheless, sometimes we can do that. There have been many of these that na the name has added up. Again, I think there's an Antichrist ready at all times, but I think when the time comes, you will understand. But the number of his name isn't going to be as obvious as it is who he claims to be, who he points to worship, the fruit that comes from his life. An interesting thing, though, is the word Rome. Rome in Hebrew is Rometh. In Greek, Latinos. Both of them equal 666. When we get into chapter 16, we're going to talk more about the connection of Rome. All that I know for sure is the Bible points us to Rome, very clearly. Daniel's visions, whether it be the, the beasts or the statue, the last kingdom is Rome. And it is in that Roman period kingdom that we see this rock cut out of the mountain that comes and destroys everything and then his kingdom is set up. Rome is going to be a focus. How? We'll find out. There are some interesting things, connections when we get to 16. But for now, just note that Rome, whether it be, I mean, if it was just in Hebrew, it'd be one thing. But if it's in Hebrew and Greek, both, that's kind of like, wow, interesting. 666. Okay. So something just to store in your mind for now. <coughs> it does seem to imply here, though, that we are to watch for it and that it is going to be something that will be understandable. What it is, for sure, we don't know yet. But it does seem to be that it is going to be something. He says, let him who has understanding calculate the number. It's a number of man. Now, there's all kinds of symbols that we can look at here. 666 is a number of man. Six is falling short of God, the seven. And so symbolically, a lot of you know, theologians have used that as you know, seven is God's number, six is man's number. 666 is the fullness of God, a man's number. 777 is a fullness of God. You know, I don't know. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. I see the imagery. I see the symbolism. Makes sense. Fine. But it doesn't say that necessarily in Scripture. So with that, I think the takeaway that I want you to have tonight is just really examine your life and say, do I love truth? Because that's where you get understanding. All wisdom, all knowledge is hidden in Christ Jesus, it says in Colossians 2.8. Where you're going to get understanding, where you're going to get wisdom is from the word of God, Jesus Christ. And without that, I'm telling you, you will be deceived, whether it be false spirits, false holy spirits that are out there, false Christs, false gods, period. And we need to be in the Word. So with that said, I'm going to switch gears here. And I want to just kind of introduce a little bit about Hanukkah. As you know, we have been doing Hanukkah for, I don't know, 25 years at least. I would think it's got to be in there somewhere. We've been here 18 years. We did it back in the 
Anyway, we've been doing a long time. And um, Hanukkah is also known as the Feast of Dedication. Now, I just wish I had a story shared with me here where one of our loved ones had just told his mom that he was going to celebrate Hanukkah this year. And the answer was, who do you know that's a Jew? Why would you do that? And pat on the back to this guy, because he said, Jesus. <laughs> but do you know that when people hear that I do Hanukkah, that is exactly that, what? That's a Jewish thing. Why would you do that? You're weird. What? Oh, are you going off the rails? Do I need to have an intervention? I mean, what? All of these ideas that are out there. But yet, Hanukkah, while it is not commanded in the Bible as one of the festivals, if you look at Leviticus 23, you're going to see that there are these festivals that are talked about, that are commanded. And I shouldn't really call them all festivals. They're the Moedim of God, the appointed times. And what we see are the spring festivals, as you know. We have Passover, First Fruits, and Shavuot are known as Pentecost in Greek. All three of those are for the Lord's first coming. Jesus died on Passover, rose on First Fruits, gave the Holy Spirit on Shavuot. The fall festivals, as we just finished here not long ago, we have trumpets, atonement, and Sukkot, or tabernacles. Those all point to God's second coming. Those were the ones that were commanded by God. There are two main ones that were not commanded by God that are in Scripture, but the Jews celebrate to this day, Hanukkah and Purim. We are now at the time of Hanukkah. And people say, well, first of all, it's not commanded, so why would you do it? Well, I don't even do all the others because they're commanded. I do them because I love God. I love the truth. And I love seeing Jesus in them. And I see Jesus in Hanukkah. I see Jesus in Purim. And whereas the world has taken Christmas and made it all about Santa Claus and gifts, presents, lights, Hanukkah is about Jesus. That's it. Okay? For the most part. An aspect of him anyway. And so while it's not commanded, I want to show you that it is in Scripture. Where is it? So I just had a, a pastor tell me this when I was in Houston here this summer. He says, well, where's that in the Bible? And I said, oh, it's in Daniel. And I said, in Daniel 7, you know the beasts and Daniel's dreams. You got these four kingdoms. And then Daniel 7, 8, 9, you know, it gets into great detail about this third kingdom there isn't a commentator, as I said, that won't tell you that that is Antiochus. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, but you see, we, don't, we, we weren't trained or brought up to think this way. And so as a result, we see these things as Jewish, not biblical, not godly, which is amazing. I've never once found, I, find, I can show you in John 10, we see Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle, or not Tabernacle, but the Feast of Dedication. 
Hanukkah. I can show you Hanukkah in the Bible. I cannot show you Christmas. Nowhere. Daniel, Daniel said something today about uh, uh, Herod celebrating his birthday. <laughs> it just kind of hit me. As, uh, One of the reasons Jehovah Witnesses do not celebrate birthdays is because every example of a birthday there's something evil that takes place like that. And Herod is one of the examples where he kills John the Baptist. Now, I am not promoting Jehovah Witnesses here, okay? I, I disagree with their uh, doctrines, for sure, okay? What's that? Do you, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> so, these are the festivals. Now, again, I'm not just kind of a cheerleader here for Hanukkah. I am a cheerleader for all of the biblical festivals because they are biblical. I am also not one of these persons who's going to tell you, hey, if you celebrate Christmas, you're a pagan and you're sinning and you're doing all these things. But I will tell you this, you are missing out. Okay. I was saying last night to my family that it's kind of funny how Christmas is pretty much Jesus was born, will sing some songs and give me my gifts. Hanukkah is so much more than that. One of the reasons I started doing it was because it focused on God and his word completely. And that has been a blessing to our family. It has prepared my children to know what to look for in the future, to see God's deliverances in the past and expect them in the future because the promises are in the word. It has prepared them and given them an understanding of the Bible in a much greater way. You look in the whole book of John, I'll bet that 9 out of 10, if not 9.9 .9 out of 10 Christians could not tell you that, or even know that the entire book of John is pretty much written around festivals. Okay, the blue and the yellow, these chapters, are all during festivals. I think the rest of it was as well. It just doesn't say it outright in the Bible. But almost the entire thing. There's parts of chapter 1 and 2 that I can't prove it. But then the rest of chapter 2, 3, 4, one verse in chapter uh, 4, I can't say it was, but chapter 5, chapter 6, it goes on here in chapter 7, uh, Chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, every one of these is happening at a festival. You tell me that it doesn't mean anything? John 10, one of them being Hanukkah here. Now, as I said, we see the, pa the, the spring festivals show Jesus' first coming, and amazingly so, as you know. We've gone through this, most of you here. The fall festivals are <coughs> the, uh, his second coming. But look what I want to show you here. Passover is talked about in John three times. Sukkot, twice in John. Hanukkah, just once in John. Now, I'm going to talk more about what all of this is on Saturday next week. It'll all be on Hanukkah. But today, I just kind of want to show you a little bit of what they do. Some of the traditions. In a real quick nutshell, the whole idea of Hanukkah 
is a celebration of God's deliverance in the past. As a matter of fact, Zechariah, I can't remember the exact address, is there the theme verse, which is not by might or strength, not by my might or strength, but by the Spirit of the Lord. They realized that they were able to win a battle against the Greeks, not because of their own strength, but because God fought for them. And that's the same way life is for us, whether it be the sin that you're battling in your life right now, or whether it be the, the armed robber breaking into your home. It is not by your strength, but it is by God who lives in you. We can do all things through Christ who lives in me. So what happened was Alexander the Great, okay, this third kingdom of Daniel's visions, he dies at, I think it was 33 years old, and his kingdom was then divided up. One of the areas that was in control then of Judah, Jerusalem area, the Jews, was then controlled by a guy named Antiochus IV. Later calls himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God manifest. And so he set himself up as God. As I said, he put his face as Zeus. At first, he was kind of kind to the Jews, but there were these people that were Hellenized. One of the things that the Greeks prided themselves on was not just coming in, conquering, killing, and then starting whatever, but they wanted to change the culture by turning the culture into a Greek culture, and that was, being, that was called being Hellenized. You think maybe by any small chance that we today have been Hellenized? That virtually everything that we even do in the church almost does not even have biblical origins like Easter or Christmas, Halloween. Oh, but we, we've Christianized them. It's a harvest festival. It's when Jesus was born. It's about Jesus' death and resurrection. Even though the roots of them, even though there are people today trying to tell you, oh, no, no, it, it, Christmas started here. Christmas was illegal until uh, the late 1800s here in America. Why? Because of the pagan roots. We just Christianized them. Well, <clears throat> I could go on and on about how we've been Hellenized. We'll talk more about that later, but for now, that's what they did. He, at first, let the Jews be Jews. Uh, Alexander the Great even canceled the taxes for them on uh, Jubilee years, or you know, every seventh year. I mean, he, it was great. But then there were these people who had been Hellenized who compromised. And they decided, I'm going to let the culture, I, I like what it has to offer. Antiochus built gymnasiums instead of the temple. He went in and in other places too, there were these gymnasiums. Now, to you that may not sound like much, but to the Greek, that was a place of, of debauchery nakedness, you know, public baths, all these kind of things. It's not the gym you're thinking of. Okay, they, anyway, you, you get the picture. And so what happened is people were having fun. The, the, the desires of the flesh, they had a means of doing it. It was kind of like Ashley Madison websites. Giving them an excuse and a justification to live against the law of God. Antiochus then got them to take on Greek names. So there was a, uh, a guy named Joshua who turned his name to Jason, a Greek name. And 
he paid a bribe in order to become a priest. And by the way, this is all history, well-documented history. And so he became a priest. Well, pretty soon, another guy came along and paid a bigger bribe. Well, that caused a revolt among Jason and this other guy, which ticked Antiochus off, which caused Antiochus to come in and get all upset and ended up killing tens of thousands of, of Jews. And he really got bad then. At that point, we had no Sabbath. You, it was against the law to keep the Sabbath. You had to eat pork. He would bring people in, force them to eat pork, shoving it down their throats. And if they did not eat, it would cut out their, th uh, their th uh, tongue. Or worse, in one case, in the book of Maccabees, which is good history, I think you can read, you'll even see this mother who watched all seven of her sons be killed in front of her. And every single one loved God enough they wouldn't even eat pork. One was even fried in a pan. Awful. I mean, I can't... Antichrist kind of stuff. But they loved God not to shrink from death. Well, there was this guy named Mattathias. Just a farmer, basically. A nobody. No power, no strength within himself. But he loved God and he refused to do these things. And what Antiochus did is he tore down the stuff inside the temple of God and he set up an altar to Zeus in place of God's altar and he sacrificed a pig on that altar. Set up an image. So when you see the abomination that causes desolation kind of thing. The Jews saw this. This is the Antichrist. Well, Mattathias got this small group of farmers armed with axes, pitchforks. They had no really weapons. And they began rebelling. And to make a long story short, would go and attack an outpost, run away back into the hills. Go and attack an outpost, run away into the hills. And after a three, three years and two months, that's the amazing thing about this. If you add up three years and two months, do you know what that is? 2,300 days. You go, well, what significance is that? I'm going to show you here in just a minute. I, I don't want to give too much. I, maybe I better, and, and maybe I'll tell you more about it next week. 2,300, remember what Daniel says? Daniel says, from the time the abomination that causes desolation is set up, or from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished to the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished will be 1,000 290 days. Blessed is he who waits for and reaches the end of 2,300 days. I mean, that is how perfect Antiochus fits with the book of Daniel. But Jesus said, so when you see, I'll bet some of them were like, what? I thought it happened. No. Still to come. Anyway. Like I said, we'll, we'll get more into that. You can read about this in the book of Maccabees. Now, I do not believe Maccabees should be in Scripture at all. Okay, It is in the Catholic Bible, but I think it's good history. I was just telling Tara today, we were talking about the book of Enoch, and it is amazing how so many people have a problem with the book of Enoch if I say the book of Enoch says this. Now, if I say Josephus says this, they don't have a problem with me. 
But if I say Enoch said this, the book of Enoch, I got issues. I see the book of Enoch much like I would see Josephus or some of those things. I think I'll put it a little bit above Josephus, but I'm not canonizing the book of Enoch. But there, as I said, it used to be in the King James Bible. It was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was a very highly uh, revered spiritual book in the time of Jesus. And it was not even in the canonized Jewish scriptures. Okay? But they saw it as a very revered spiritual book to be taken seriously. It is even quoted in the Bible, in Jude. And when you go to Enoch, we see it there. And when you read Enoch, it's specifically for end times, which is interesting. It even says that in the beginning of Enoch. It's a book worth reading. I'll tell you that. And I think just like Josephus adds to, likewise Maccabees is a good history book. I do not even put Maccabees as high up as I would put Enoch. I, I don't even put it as a spiritual book. It is a history book. That's it. In my book, that's what it is. But Maccabees <coughs> is this time period written in the 400 years of silence between Malachi ending and Jesus coming. And so if you want to know a little bit about what was going on in Israel and God's people at that time, you've got to read these books. It's going to be very insightful. God was not silent in those years. We call it the period of silence, but he wasn't silent. He was working in history, and we see him working. And the Jewish records are filled with how we see him working. What's wrong with celebrating God's deliverances? What's wrong with going and seeing how God worked in the past? Didn't he tell us in the Old Testament, even when they went out of Egypt, he said, so when you see, or so when your children ask, what do these stones mean? When they took those 12 stones out of the Jordan River, when they crossed the Jordan River going into the Promised Land, he says, so when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. He was giving them a stone memorial. He said, these stones are to be a memorial for the people of Israel forever. I want you to remember what I did, how I delivered you, so that you can tell your children, so that they will know how I work, so that they will know my power, my love for them, how I fulfill my promises. Let me tell you, the book of Maccabees is one of those stone piles. Hanukkah is one of those stone piles. That in celebrating Hanukkah, you are telling your children how God rescued his people and foreshadows how he's going to rescue them in the future. It gives you an understanding of the book of Daniel, which helps, gives you an understanding of the book of Revelation, which is going to help you an understanding to recognize what's going on in end times. Those who have understanding, those who are wise will understand. Why? Because they knew the Bible, and they knew God's handiwork, his fingerprints in history. So, I think we're going to close on that. That's giving you a nutshell. I will do this for you, though, before I guess I close. What do we do? I'm going to give you a two-minute quick rundown in case you guys are starting Hanukkah. There's no prescription in the Bible. So in some sense, do what you want. Okay? There's nothing in the Bible that says you've got to do this, you've got to do that. I can tell you what the Jews do to some extent. 
We don't even do fully what that is. We've made our own traditions. The point is, is what is it pointing to? Jesus. And so we have our menorah, which I left over in the house. It's actually a Hanukkah. A menorah has seven candlesticks or oil things for it. A Hanukkah has nine. One of them is what's called the Seamus candle that's used to light the other eight ones. There's eight of them for the eight days of Hanukkah. We'll talk about why those eight days on Saturday. But for now, what we do is I have given a list. We have eight scripture verses, or actually more than verses, but sections of scripture that I give my family every year. And on the first day of Hanukkah, I give them the first day and they have to memorize that. So to, last night is when we started. And today, the family got together before you guys got here. We were over there and we'll light our second candle since we are starting our second day. And when we lit the second candle or we have those lit, all of my family has to go and say that verse so that we're memorizing scripture. One year, every scripture verse was a theme that Jesus was the light of the world. Uh, the word is the light. And we had something for the light, each one, those verses. So at the end of eight days, they have to have a whole page that we have that's memorized. And we sit down as a family, we have a meal. They have a special, Tara has, each kid gets to kind of pick a meal or family gets to pick a meal for a night. So she makes a special meal for them. We get together as a family, we do our scripture, we light the candle, there's just a little prayer that we have. And then we eat and enjoy, we get together afterwards. We even do give some gifts. And like we didn't give any gifts tonight, but uh, it is fun to celebrate. Okay? I just don't want gifts to become the focus of it. But it gives us an opportunity. And one of my favorite books is that Family Guide to the Biblical Holidays by Robin Sampson or whatever her name is. And it'll even have things that you can do each day of Hanukkah, telling you what to do. What I would do for many years is we'd give each part, and I'd kind of start telling the story, much like what I did to you. Tomorrow night, you could talk about Alexander the Great and what he did. The next night after that, Antiochus, what he did. The next night after that, you can talk about Judah Maccabee and how he you know, fought and how God was delivering. You can just divide it up through those eight nights so that they're learning. But it isn't just about looking at past history. It's also looking at the connections to the New Testament. Because just exactly what Antiochus did, you will find a New Testament verse talking about the Antichrist, speaking boastfully. That's what he did, setting himself up to be God, putting an image, Matthew 24, some of the verses that we looked at. So what I'm doing is I'm training my children as we go through this to recognize the patterns that God has given us throughout history and what scripture tells us in the Bible about future times. They will tell you I scared the living daylights out of them when they were younger. But I think every one of them tell you that they were glad because now they don't live in fear. They have the trust and the promises of God. I wasn't trying to scare the daylights out of them. It's just who I am. It's what I do. <laughs> but they were able to see the promises of God. They were able to see, oh, I don't need to be afraid. 
this is what I need to look for. I'm not going to let some subtle antichrist come in and steal my children because I didn't train them up in the word of God. We never got that from Christmas, ever before. Now, spoiler alert, maybe I said this, I don't know. There is good evidence that Jesus was conceived on Hanukkah. I'll talk about that Saturday night. So you can celebrate Jesus coming into the world because I think there's a good chance he was conceived at this time. Okay, Can't prove it, but I can show you very strong biblical support for it. All right. So Jesus is the focus. How you do that is up to you. Make your own family traditions. Make it fun, but make it godly and make it focused on God, Jesus' word. And I think that you will be blessed. Talk to my kids afterwards. Two of them are here anyway. Three of them are here. One's, one's over in the building. That's why I said two. But three of them will be here in a moment. And ask them, what did they get out of it? So anyway, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just your word and your faithfulness throughout history. God, we are not ever alone. As we sang earlier, Lord, that we're not alone because you live in us, and we're so grateful. Let us not be people who follow men of lawlessness, but men who follow Jesus, the law of God. And help us to understand, give us wisdom and discernment, and let us not be deceived by any of the devil's wiles and, and lies. So just train us up in the way we should go. In Jesus' name, the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen.